He is a cook, a farmer, a food producer, an entrepreneur and a dreamer. Coming from Colombia, he moved first to Italy and is now settled in the outskirts of Amsterdam, where he runs two companies, the Stadt Grundenboer, a community-supported agricultural farm, and Jaya, a food processing company. I'm talking about Andres Martinez Jara. Do volunteering in one farm, uh, not just in summer also go in, in, in winter so it really give you a better understanding if if that's for you because when it's sunny outside and uh, everything is blooming it's so nice to be a farmer locale local shock local Valentina Gritti, Global Community and Project Manager of the Slow Food Youth Network and in this episode I will take you to Amsterdam to meet Andres at his farm. We will discuss with him what the benefits of short supply chains are, how you can promote local biodiversity and safe food waste by making preserves, but he will also share some useful entrepreneurial tips on how to start your farm or food enterprise. So let's get started! How did you arrive here in Amsterdam, first of all? Yeah, that's actually a good, good question. So we studied in, the, um, in Italy, University of Gastronomic Sciences. Um, we had this dream with a couple of friends uh, to have uh, a farm anywhere in Europe in which we were able to apply all the knowledge that we got from the university and uh, well, ma- mainly to you know feed ourselves but then if we have the opportunity to feed others then of course it's, a, it's an added value to it uh, then uh, we'll make it short so like, it was a dream with some friends and then uh, everyone divided a little bit and then I think it was just like uh, preparing to what it was going to come and then after a couple of years uh, some friends came back to Amsterdam uh, the Dutchies and then they volunteer in the Stadskrontenburg that is uh, our farm now uh, they did uh, one year volunteer and then the previous owner decided to leave to Berlin and then he asked them if they would like to continue and they called us and without any hesitation we just dropped everything that we were doing and we came to be vegetable farmers in the outskirts of Amsterdam this is uh, when was it 2019 we start we got it at the end of 2018 yeah this is our uh, fourth season we're halfway through so the Stadsgrunteboer is uh, uh, community supported agriculture Uh, we grow more than 60 different vegetables, 15 different um, herbs and 10 edi- edible flowers. Um, it's just, um, yeah, basically it's uh, an abonnement in which uh, people for 30 weeks a year get um, uh, a crate uh, of uh, vegetables every week. So, and this is the Stadsgrundenboer, but then you also have another project. Right? Can you tell me something about that? So the other project is called um, Yara. It's a company that started in 2020 during the lockdown of the Horeca due to the uh, uh, Corona crisis. 
and the, all the lockdown. So we just started because we saw a challenge with our neighbors, uh, farmers and friends that uh, b due to the lockdown of the Horeca, they were not able to sell uh, many things. Mm. So we just decided to take an action and then do something in, in order to prevent all this food to go into waste. And we just start uh, purchasing as much as we could, uh, making different sauces, products and preserve uh, in order to add value, extend shelf life and uh, help uh, and work together with uh, friends and uh, colleagues that were in a moment of uh, you know difficulties so now it's been two and a half years the project is uh, developing and growing and what we do now uh, because the lockdown is open it's, uh, it's not anymore happening so everything is back to normal kind of um, now what we're doing is we're working with 13 different farmers around the country and we ask them uh, to grow specific amount of vegetables to us so we increase biodiversity because we ask for vegetables that normally they don't grow um, any specific uh, amount uh, so they know that everything that they will grow it will be used and we will purchase it so we take the un economical uncertainty out, out of the equation um, we take everything and uh, then we just uh, prepare different uh, um, sauces and dips with uh, local ingredients but uh, global flavors now we're also doing the limited edition ones and this is the part that uh, you know we take all of the amount of kilos from uh, from a farmer that have a vegetable let's say you have 200 kilos of carrots that are split because uh, any condition and then it cannot be sold because supermarket doesn't want or any restaurant doesn't want uh, or nobody wants to buy it because they're ugly we don't care we just go for it and we take everything and we do a product that is limited with that we have prevented quite some uh, many kilos of uh, food being wasted uh, to reintroduce in the system and then people um, yeah, eat them. For example, which type of vegetables? Well, we do ones with uh, tomatillo. So tomatillo actually grows really well here, uh, even outside, no need of greenhouse. We're working with one friend farmer in the Leilistat, and they are growing more or less 700 kilos for us. Uh, and they're really happy that uh, we take everything because, yeah, it's just like, I, I really, they really love the system and we also love it because everything they grow will come to us and then we will transform it into uh, a delicious tomatillo salsa that is like one of the most traditional uh, sauces in Mexico that you can find in every corner. So uh, you don't need to fly in tomatoes, uh, tomatillos from Mexico, you can get them in the, in the Netherlands. Okay, let's get one step back. What is tomatillo? It's a tomato that it will never be red. So it's always uh, green or depending on the variety, when it's ripe, it will be yellowish or purple. And then it's uh, getting a lot of uh, popularity at the moment due to the, well, the exoticness and the flavorful, uh, the surprising, uh, it's just basically a part in your mouth. It's, um, mm, you have a little bit of fissalis, fruity, passion fruit, tanginess, sour, um, just like many things happening at the same time. And it's something that people uh, yeah, should try, I think.
Andres is also making chili sauces, of course. We do the same with uh, different chilies. Then in the Netherlands, you, well, they normally grow like the Madame Jeanette, the Jalapeno, the Rode Spanish, and two more. And then we also doing the same process with uh, another friend, farmer Harm, his name. And he grows uh, six different varieties of chilies from us. Then also, uh, he was really surprised and really looking forward to grow different varieties. So in that aspect, we also increase the biodiversity within the farm that we work in, uh, because we don't want we don't go just for the let's say uh, conventional uh, ingredients that are grown. Uh, we also propose a different. Uh, uh, chilies in this in this case so it's also nice because we work in this aspect in bringing uh, a little bit of a change in the diversity of the of the vegetables and where did you get the seeds from yeah that's uh, the seeds have been with me <laughs> since uh, five years uh, then every year they go in the ground and then the, um, yeah you're saving saving the own seeds the Stadsgrundenboer is a biointensive farm, which means that they are intercropping, or let's say they are planting together different types of plants that help each other in order to grow better. The outcome is that there are less weeds, so less work for the farmers, the yield per surface is higher, and more carbon is trapped in the soil. Oh, it's, it's just a way to uh, really keep your soil working, but in a smart way in which it's actually just give more than you take. And this, I think, is one of the most important things that in agriculture that we really need to understand how to do. With Jara, as you have probably already understood, Andres is also experimented, but not only with recipes and ingredients, but is also differentiating in the market by offering natural products. Our products, they don't have any uh, additive or preservative, so it's all... Um, natural and clean as as clean as you can get it um, of course that means that there are a little bit of um, let's say challenges that if you put a spoon that you use it and you put it back then the percentage of spoilage is uh, it will spoil a little bit faster oops i think i did <laughs> but uh, we really do it uh, in a way in which the we understand the ph and the pasteurization process so it's uh, we do it the natural way how it's supposed to be done before all the e-numbers came and here it comes my favorite part you might have heard that eating avocado has a few sustainability issues we won't get into this whole topic right now but andres found his way to get around this problem and make an alternative guacamole we want to do something about the over consumption of avocado so we wanted to work in the fava mole that is made from um, fava beans um, but to be able to produce it the whole year then it's kind of challenging because at least fava beans you don't it's difficult to get them or frozen or uh, dried so I think it's uh, and it's just a short period of time in which you can get them fresh fresh but then we're experimenting a little bit with uh, dry ones or ancient peas uh, that are grown in Groningen, uh, and then we are mixing it with seaweed so a guacamole made of fava beans and seaweeds but what does this taste like uh it's um 
challenging because of course legumes they don't have the amount of fat of, of, of avocado but then we if you try it then you would say that that is like it you would say like ah oh, it's actually nice and creamy quite fatty uh, nice and acidic mm, so probably you don't won't say like whoa guacamole but then it just we also don't want it to compare it to guacamole it's just like it's a different product that resembles a little bit uh, guacamole but it just uh, we put it in, in two sides and the people like it so we're happy so far but we still we are still working on the development because to put it uh, in a shelf and this shelf table we don't want to put it uh, in uh, you know the preservative and all this stuff uh, so that's the challenge that uh, we're working on at the moment here is another cool initiative do you want to know where Jara transform its products we have a kitchen, um, it's called Kitchen Republic, amazing place, I love it. Um, it's a community kitchen in which uh, it's for startups, so you can go there, uh, get a membership, uh, depending how many days you wanted to use it, and they have all the, well not all the equipment, but a lot of uh, equipment that you can use and it's uh, really uh, shared and it's a really fanta- fantastic place because you can start a business without all the initial crazy investments that is normally when you want to do something in, a, in the kitchen you have ovens and uh, permits and everything and they deal with all of that so of course we also have our plans and our own certifications but um, the initial place is there and it's just a great great to have this uh, place and be able to to use it so now we have talked already about innovations, but I would really like to learn from the experience of Andres. So let's see what are the main obstacles he faced and what are his learnings. Now 180 members, but it's let's say 200 members just to give the close number. It's also summer, so we have more than the, the abundance at the moment. Uh, we have a waiting list of uh, 400, 450 people. Whoa. So. Uh, it shows that people want to eat more locally and uh, and we can supply more people if maybe we have more land so that's one of the like uh, obstacles is that uh, uh, of course if you really wanted to scale it up let's say um, you cannot do it uh, like we also don't want to put tractors for example so um, the the demand is there and um, I think we just need to to get uh, get more land. And would manpower be enough? Uh, well, we also learning that uh, there are a lot of people that actually wanted to do this and they don't want to own it. Uh, so this year, for example, at the Stasbrunterburg, we started with uh, two freelance farmers. Uh, one is doing three days a week and the other person is doing the, um, two, one, depending on the on the weeks. Nowadays we're just seeing that uh, people love to do this. They want like more volunteers, more interns. People actually sending emails saying like, I have a background, I have experience, I want to come and work uh, in a farm. So. While for Jara, one of the big obstacles had to do with trademark. The uh, name was before it was Herbano. 
and then I think we just didn't believe I think it was just a you know startup mistake you didn't believe we didn't believe that it was going to be like a thing that we didn't check uh, trademark so then when we actually uh, supply one shop in Germany then the, of course somehow um, the Urbano Germany realized that we uh, had similar name and uh, they came and they just sent us an email saying like okay guys you need to change the name because a trademark infliction so uh, yeah that was a uh, that was a hard one to take but then yeah now it's uh, it's done and we did everything we could uh, because we also had to to do it on a deadline because we were supplying the uh, mark um, so yeah that was uh, interesting and challenging the really top obstacle that we managed to uh, to go through it uh, it make us of course uh, grow a lot um, and everyone in the team took a lot of responsibilities in order to to make it happen but uh, definitely one big obstacle now we have a uh, trademark of Jara in the Benelux and then the, we are considering to do it uh, in the European level uh, by the way I like the name Jara more also because it's your surname and it's also the product so I think it's uh, when I saw it like no that's so clever <laughs> why didn't they make it before so I think maybe you you change for the better yeah I, I heard that a lot of people like I love I love the name and then it's like uh, yeah now the more and more I see it really really at the beginning it was a little bit like mm, shy it's like oh, probably not but then everyone's telling me like I love the name so we're really happy with the result what is your evaluation about the results of your activity so what you have done up to now are you satisfied do you think uh, the uh, I don't know the salary is enough for example for the amount of efforts you put in how do you now turn your back look at what you have done until now and how do you feel about it that's actually a really interesting question because a lot of people have salaries of like 4,000, 5,000 years but then they have to spend that amount of money in, uh, well it also depends on, on, on how you spend it. Um, food is really expensive nowadays and uh, if you wanted to eat uh, uh, non-conventional or a little bit more let's say organic and regenerative uh, then can be like a big chunk of your salary goes to that yeah, probably we don't earn a lot of money but uh, we eat the best food <laughs> <laughs> so I think in that aspect we are really rich we also do what we love mm. so yeah I, I think in that aspect the, the when I look backwards and then see like what we're doing is actually uh, really nice we're really happy with uh, with the amount of uh, people that we are uh, feeding in the Staatsgrundebur. Uh, we started the first year with 35, and now we have 200, uh, with the possibility of, ex of expanding. We also have, uh, this first year we pay ourselves nothing, and then the, this year it's a decent salary, it's more, a little bit above the minimum wage. Um, but then again, like it's it's not about it's depending on how you measure. 
and talking about um, what you would have done differently. Yeah, maybe really in the Stasgrundebur or like if you want to start a farming activity, do a proper research of your surroundings and your geography. Uh, where you are located ge geographically, if you have uh, wind or if you have uh, slowed, if you have water. Um, that uh, we didn't do much of a research. We were just were lucky that, of course, the Netherlands and Amsterdam, there is a lot of water. So we don't have to really think about that. But uh, um, in the east side, in winter, we are we were not protected. Now we have a better conditions because uh, we have we planted a hedge. Uh, but then that was really really um, tough in early spring when the cold wind is coming from inland and the plants were really really um, stressed because. They have to grow and then they have to put the roots, uh, like work in the root system in order to, to grow. But then the conditions of really cold wind from the east, uh, it's stress, stressing them. So like really understand the circumstances and for example the soil in which you are and uh, probably uh, do one year of uh, green manures to prepare your uh, your beds or your soil before you start an agricultural activity. Uh, green manure is, uh, for example, um, you can do it with uh, peas, alfalfa, or uh, grains that uh, you use it to grow in your soil, but then you don't harvest it in the moment in the moment in which it's being used for you. But you just do it in order to uh, release. Uh, nutrients in the in the soil yeah, so I tell you with the peas for example so we put the couchettes and before the couchettes we put uh, uh, we forecast a lot of pea seeds they grow uh, we don't let them produce uh, the, the, um, the pot for the for the peas we just uh, mow it down once they start flowering uh, we harvest a little bit of uh, pea shoots for some salads uh, but then we cut it down and that we let it decompose in the bed so that's uh, releasing a lot of nitrogen and a lot of uh, um, different nutrients uh, into the soil so Andres and what do you think is the biggest benefit of selling directly your products mm, well uh, as a farmer the benefit is that there are no millmans therefore uh, the, the prices can be more honest and then you know that the person that is getting the payment in this case the farmer is getting the whole thing is getting 100% of the amount that you're paying like I understand that this kind of logistics and partners uh, can really help you to to reach and to get uh, uh, in a certain spot or market uh, but there's no better option that sell directly to 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 the people that's why we have uh, uh, the community supported agriculture there is no middleman there is no people in between you buy directly from us and then you know what you're getting and we also know what we're getting I think it's the um, most uh, honest uh, uh, way to to do it and yeah I also understand that it's challenging because uh, there are places that are far away or things that come from abroad 
um, but I think just to start thinking about uh, why a vegetable or a product it have that cost it's because it has many many links in the chain before reaching you and then the in Jara yeah it's um, basically if you sell directly to the customers then you have a bigger profit is like this like if you sell th through uh, retailers they get uh, uh, a big percentage sometimes depending on the retailer even more than you it's like it's it's insane and some of them they want uh, 30 35 40 45 uh, so it's even 50 percent so it's uh, you can really see of course uh, well, you will reach more people but then you will share the profit if you think of um, your most valuable experience or memory of selling directly to a customer do you have an anecdote or yeah a story that you would like to share with us Definitely. I think uh, one of the moments in which I will really remember, uh, there are many, uh, but the one I will share with you, it's uh, a couple of uh, Argentinians were coming almost every week uh, to e to purchase from our farm stand that it's uh, located at the farm. Uh, and once they wanted uh, some vegetables that were not there at the moment, um, and they asked me if I could just... Uh, get get them because uh, they would have liked to prepare one dish I don't remember right now uh, and then the fact that I invite them to come with me and uh, I let them harvest it uh, it was just the joy of this uh, woman it was just uh, it's, it was something priceless because she was just really happy that she was g going to prepare something really delicious and then that she had the opportunity uh, to harvest um, I think it was a cabbage and a pumpkin uh, that she was harvesting these uh, vegetables her herself and she knew uh, who was growing the food and uh, where is it coming from uh, and then she had really a close connection to to the ingredient I think it would, this is what we really value and what we really want uh, at the end of the day any advice for people who want to start with farming from scratch? Go for it. Don't be afraid. Just, yeah, and you're planning to, I don't know, quit your job or something. Ah, okay, let's do it. Start with some days. Uh, if you really wanted to farm, do volunteering in one farm, uh, not just in summer. Also go in, in, in winter. So it really gives you a better understanding if... If that's for you because when it's sunny outside and uh, everything is blooming it's so nice to be a farmer uh, sometimes it's not that romantic when it's rainy and when it's windy when it's winter it's just to take in into consideration but I'm I'm a believer like I have to be honest that if there is a will there is a way and uh, whatever you wanted to do if you put uh, your energy uh, on really working towards it you can achieve it of course passion have to go really interlinked with knowledge so it's not just that uh, you start doing something and have no clue how to do it then uh, it's more difficult um, but you can start uh, reading uh, about uh, 
you know, market garden of, uh, or regenerative agriculture. There are really a lot of podcasts right now uh, and many books uh, that can help you with that. Nowadays, actually, there is a lot more people wanting to go back to, you know, getting their hands into the soil. And um, I think it's a good time to do that. Mm. And for uh, food production, um, try to really put everything in the calculation of your products, even your hours, because that's something that um, startups really don't uh, do till it's a little bit too late and then you really need to raise your prices. It's uh, put immediately the hours of people, hours your own hours, and um, unforeseen costs like uh, you know prices of rising inflation um, and then sometimes the things don't arrive or like in our case you had uh, to change then the label in the four months and then you have uh, yeah 700 uh, labels and then you cannot use anymore and that's uh, yeah basically money that uh, is standing there and it's not going to be used so like uh, be be smart try to oversee these uh, difficulties challenges um, but then yeah go for it it's also it's also the time in which people want something different so follow your dreams thank you so much Andres it was super nice to have this conversation with you and it was very very inspiring and I hope it's going to inspire also the people that are going to listen to us thank you I hope really this can um, inspire you guys and it was really nice I just also want to share with you the image of what we're having now we are on a greenhouse on a really sunny day uh, you don't know if you can hear the roosters in the background and we're surrounded by flowers so um, come spend some time outside reconnect with nature and yeah eat local food this podcast is financed by the european union and it's part of the project on farm with which we aim to teach local and regional farmers in european countries how to start their own on-farm production process create added value products and reach a wider customer audience this is valentina gritti and this is the slow food youth network podcast see you in the next episode ciao